Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. From Backpage, I'm Neil White, and this is Between the Lines, a podcast that tells the stories behind great sports writing. Today, our guest is the big kahuna of football writing in the UK, Henry Winter. Henry is the chief football writer of The Times. We'll talk a bit about what that means in this podcast, but mostly we're going to be talking about an interview Henry did with the former Leicester and Watford manager, Nigel Pearson, recently. You need to know that Pearson had been quiet since Watford sacked him, with two games left in the restarted Premier League season. Under his stewardship, they'd risen from the bottom of the division to three points clear of relegation. During that time, Pearson had also lost his mother and contracted the coronavirus. Watford were relegated after losing those matches and Pearson developed health complications in the wake of COVID that he has been battling for eight months. At the start of November 2020, Pearson decided to put himself out there and a series of hand-picked media appearances were arranged, including The Athletic, BBC Radio 5 Live and 442 Magazine. They all spoke to Pearson via a Zoom call, apart from one. Henry's piece begins with him meeting Nigel at a former asylum in Devon and then going on a trek across moorland and then wild swimming together in an old clay pit. So that seemed as good a place to begin our conversation as any. How come he gets the special treatment? Uh, what preferential treatment? Sort of risking hypothermia. I actually cut my finger. So I don't know if you can see it. It's not exactly a war wound. Yeah, we went out into, into the into Dartmoor, and I, I love scrambling, so I started climbing up. So, a, a, I came back with shredded fingers, which has affected my typing, uh, and B, uh, I did shiver all the way back after all the swim, the swim, the quite uh, not preferential treatment at all. I mean, it was just, I think Nigel's um, advisor Dean thought it'd be a good idea for him to sort of just resurface, really, post Watford, post COVID. Um, and because he's such an interesting character, and I think his image uh, has has changed, particularly with Watford, the win over Liverpool, uh, some of his comments at the time, particularly his concern about would Troy Dean and his family be okay? We've got to look after footballers. I mean, I interviewed him at the time on Zoom, and um, he said, "Listen, I'm worried about someone dying on the pitch," and it was very, you know, it was quite sort of emotive stuff. The reason why it came about was because it was his birthday um, about sort of three months ago. And um, Dean Eldridge, his, his advisor, thought it'd be fun if he got all his, the sort of journalists he knows, people he knows, players, managers, whoever, to actually um, do little sort of videos. And I knew Nigel like wild water swimming i knew obviously you know he goes off into the wall the you know the the hills and takes on packs of dogs in the, the carpathians i mean he's he's, he's got quite a bit <laughs> I think of, that was one time yeah that's right well it was five hours he, he actually he, he kept a diary of it and he sent me the notes of the diary and i read it and I, I i said to him i said this this was really serious you know he had five hours with his back up against the wall with a ski pole trying to jab these sort of uh, mad dogs uh, to because what they do is they circle and then one goes for your Achilles. 
talking about is if I know I grew up in Hampstead you know we didn't really have many (laughs) packs of wild Pekingese chasing after me but so uh so, anyway, so you sent me details that. So I thought, well, what I'll do for his birthday is we've got a river at the bottom of the garden here. My son's really into wild water swimming. He, he does it at university. And I grew up with fairly sort of bonkers parents. And wherever we went in the world, we had to swim. So I've swum in the Mississippi. I've swum in the Nile, which was dangerous. Don't try it at home. Uh, I've swam the Tyne because I lost a bet with Newcastle fans. I did sort of occasional daily not podcast, but sort of vlog, vlogs from the Volga, swimming in the Volga at the World Cup. I just say, it's a, you just get a different perspective. Um, anyway, so I went down the bottom of the garden, dived in and just did a little video, sort of tribute, happy birthday to Nigel. And uh, then he said, oh, I've got some good swims near me in, in Dartmoor. And, I was, and so when Dean said, well, look, we can do all these sort of Zoom calls, I said, well, I'll drive down there it's only like four and a half hour drive and I, I love I love a road trip I'm sorry I'm the happiest in the car arguing with sat nav and listening to the radio um so I went down there and we went for a walk and we ended up in this people say it was a quarry I mean it was a sort of clay pit it it was absolutely beautiful in fact we've been talking along the way about how much we love going out and walking particularly in the lake district and the he was naming all these tarns that he'd swum in. I mean, he's Nigel is serious. I mean, he should have been in the army. He would have been perfect in the army. So I could see him sort of marching across Salisbury Plain, diving into puddles. Um, so, and I just thought it was a little bit different because I mean, I do a weekly interview, and I just thought, well, if you get a chance to go and spend some time with someone and and just turn the journey of the walk into the journey of what they've been through this year, and that conversational element comes through. I hope. Well. We'll talk about how it just folds beautifully into structure um, very shortly. But, you know, I, I said preferential treatment. Really what I wanted to get, get at is what you've just described there, which is it comes down to a sort of staple of the job, which is relationship building. You know, over years and years and years, he doesn't say that to a journalist that he's not absolutely comfortable with, that he doesn't trust, that he doesn't know to some degree. And so it's almost like you have capital, and you know you're not you're not cashing it all in. You know there's no real sort of downside, but you've earned that access. Well, I think I've been very fortunate with who I've worked for, and well, fortune I've deliberately worked for uh, since '85, since leaving a, an August Scottish university at Edinburgh. And um, I mean, Edinburgh were brilliant because they knew exactly what I wanted to do, and they allowed me effectively to taper the, uh, the you know my course at Edinburgh to work for the student magazine. So when I came. Out of university, I went straight down. I managed to blag my way into the Independent, which was just brilliant. And I think people trusted the Independent, still do. I then had 21 years at the Telegraph. Again, sports desk, particularly sports department. Again, people trusted there. And then the Times as well. So I think people do trust those organisations. I mean, people talk about sort of fake news and mistrust of journalism. But I think if 2020 has well, shown many things and opened the eyes to many things, but it's the importance of brands, brands, media organisations that you can trust. I mean, some people have issues with the BBC, but people went to the BBC in huge numbers to, to, to listen. Um, there are various uh, podcasts that people listen to. I mean, Graham's, in, yeah, I can mention Graham's. But people, I know people will go on there. Graham gets good uh, access to people, uh, Sven and people like that, because people trust him. 
Um, and I think if you've got a platform that people trust, and I'm fortunate with the Times and before that, the Telegraph and the Indy. Um, so I think if, if there was any preferential treatment, I would hope it was it was less me and, and pr- probably more my employer. I mean, you know, I work for the Times. I wanted to work for the Times since I was 14, 15, because it is the Times. It is, you know, it's it's an iconic name. And I think that is built on trust over... 200 years. Yeah. And I'm going to say that, that it's a, a combination of, of the brand. Nigel Pearson probably is looking less at the, the masthead and, and more at the individual. I, yeah, I, I, dis, I, I slightly dispute that because when I, when I left the Telegraph and went to the Times, I, I actually had sort of two or three footballers that I sort of bumped into at matches or, or, or whatever. And they said, oh, what's the Times like? They wanted to know what it was like because it is it is the times in a way it's like the FA. I mean there is that element to it, and they were sort of. I, mean, I remember talking to Ryan Giggs and he was saying, you know, what's the times like? And I said, well, it's. I say you just go through, you walk through the times and look. I'm not a fanboy. I've been doing this job for 35 years, but when I walk into the times, I see, you know, there's a wall of fame of all the sort of great writers um, that they've had down the years. And you go, oh, I mean, this is this is serious, serious stuff. You know, every one of them, you go, wow, amazing forest, foreign correspondent, amazing. You know, Graham Greene was a sub-editor there and then when became a sort of famous writer. You know, the people that, you know, Anthony Lloyd, I mean, all, all these famous people who've sort of worked and written there. There is, a, to be fair, a picture of Boris Johnson, but we sort of walk past that one. But, you know, it, it's... <laughs> Big names, trusted names um, have, have, have worked there. And I think that sort of adds to it. And that, that wall, which is actually it's very close to the sports department, I always go and have a little look and always add five minutes onto the journey and just read the sort of little bios of the people who are there. The, the nature of this kind of interview, when it's coming from the interviewee, when they're looking to um, come out into the world on some level, are you aware of any quid pro quo? Do you think about, okay, so what's the motivation um, of the interviewee, the person on the other side of the table, or in this case, the other side of the chalk pit? Or are you just thinking, okay, it's a good, it's a good, it's a good opportunity for me to sit down with an interesting person and I know what I want to do? Both. Because if you know that they've got some agenda, it's probably too strong a word, but then I mean, I'll occasionally say to a player, what do you want out of this piece? On Saturday, I did an interview, sort of, uh, the weekly interview I did with with Calvin Phillips, and it was pretty clear in there that he wanted to talk about certain issues um, because he felt that maybe the story would come out, and he wanted to have some element of control. I think it's probably quite a, it's probably too strong a word, but he he wanted to have a probably let's say a more sympathetic ear, someone who is a supporter, well not a supporter, but someone who likes Leeds United, who's who likes Calvin Phillips, the way he plays, the way he lives his life. And there were two elements in his uh, life, um, his father in jail and losing his triplet when uh, at two months and how one of his tattoos. And just those elements of that, that I think he, they were very personal. I'm, I prefer writing about football, but you know, sometimes to, to know the player, you have to know the man. And um, I think it's, I hope that came out in the piece and I think he wanted it to come out in a sort of balanced way so with Nigel I would say that I think there was an element of him thinking right the time is right and and you know it's fairly brutal but it's this time of year when managers start losing their jobs and he Nigel is a well-known firefighter um, I mean you know he could well have kept Watford up if the owner hadn't lost his nerve um, 
you know, wanted to sort of, you know, show, look, I'm still here, you know, I'm fit, I'm healthy, uh, I'm diving into uh, in, in, into quarries. I'm obviously, uh, you know, maybe also that there was, and this was something I thought about on the way back, there's been this perception of Nigel that he's bit, been a bit prickly with the media. There was all that ostrich thing. And I think what came across in all the interviews, whether it was John Purse's or Ben's or the Radio 5 or Sky at The Athletic, was actually just, you know, what engaged character he is that he has mellowed um and that there's a lot of hinterland to him and also a lot of you know that he's healthy and that he's he's passionate to get back into to, to management there's always an agenda and I, I but i don't have a problem about that because if people have got an agenda and they want to talk about something get something off their chest you know that might be one part of the interview but that might also turn out to be the newsiest part of the interview i mean i've seen some of the great interviewers at work and i've seen how they go in and everything is almost set piece i mean i i've i'm i'm probably too disorganized i mean i read absolutely every interview they've done i've got on all the fans websites of all the 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 clubs that they've managed i read up about everything that sort of nigel pearson had said over the last four or five years every incident he'd been involved in but i try and commit that as much to to my head so you haven't got the notes on the table i always have two tape recorders there because tape recorder bust once and I, I lost a good interview so I always have two there whirring away but apart from that I well, it's conversational and then you know I've talked I'm talked to James Milner and we, we sort of we were just talking about the Champions League final we went down one path and then he started talking about yeah talking about we were in Spain it was at the Liverpool training camp in Spain for the Champions League final and I was, and um I think someone came over and bought us a coffee and he thanked them in Spanish and I did, I thanked them in Spanish in my Alan Partridge Spanish and, uh, and, and I said, do you speak Spanish? He said, yeah, I only speak to my kids in Spanish. And suddenly the interview went off in a completely different direction. So I love all those interviews, have everything prepared and they tick off each question as they go down. I'm not as organised as that. I kind of let it go with the flow, particularly if you're diving into quarries. <laughs> When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's something, you know, there is something organizational about making sure that you have the information somewhere in the head. You know, it gives you, it gives you, um, gives you a better map within that conversation, I guess, to go wherever. Speaking of maps, let's talk about what actually happened, which was this walk and swim. I mean, first of all, the practicalities. Were you taping as you walked? No, what I did was uh, we, we just sort of said, let's go and have a good walk and then we'll have a chat at the end when we get to, back to the house when we thawed out. Because it would have looked a bit odd if we'd both been mic'd up wandering across the moors with, with, uh, with ponies coming up and sort of nuzz, n- nuzzling at the microphone. Um, 
no, there were elements of the the walk when we talked about things which I saw. So I, I only have about one strength apart from enjoying driving and not needing much sleep is that I can retain information for a very short period. So basically things that he said, almost wholly formed sentences, I could actually sort of keep in my mind, but which I then went back to afterwards. So there was a lot of things that came out in the, whatever it was, three hour walk that I then, we then had an hour and 10 minutes on tape afterwards. I think that's a nicer way of doing it. I mean, I, to be honest, I'm lazy. I went on a nice walk in the country in the sunshine day before lockdown, <laughs> chatting to, to, to Nigel. If you talk like that, they often go into areas that they might not have gone into if you're sitting down cold with a microphone or on a zoom and you can then go back to those so, oh you know when we we're up on the moors you mentioned this about you know thinking of going to the RF or whatever when you're swimming the subject of dementia comes up because there's been this research that links cold water swimming with sort of staving off um, dementia and it just strikes me as like that's, that's just not going to come up if you're sat across in a zoom call or even across a, a, a table in person Absolutely. I mean, I asked him that the moment we got out of the water and we were sort of shivering there laughing. Um, we then went back in to do a picture, to do a selfie. But then when we came out, we were just sort of standing there um, laughing our heads off. Um, I actually said, you know, there's a, good, there's a good element to this is that they do say that people who do go, you know, wild water swimming, cold water, whether it stimulates the nerve ends, that it, it does have an, it does delay dementia. Maybe people who do that, are naturally healthier. I don't know if there's, there's any connection there. But anyway, it was an opportunity to talk about it. But also, it was I was going to ask him about dementia anyway because it was so soon after Nobby Styles and Bobby Charlton's uh, sad diagnosis uh, that... And heading was such an issue, obviously, with sort of Jeff Astle and Dawn Astle's sort of amazing campaign to, 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 to raise awareness of that. And I said, listen, you know, you were an old-school centre-half. And he said, well, listen, I made a living out of heading. And that was a very poignant, I just, I actually found that one of the most interesting things he said. Look, I knew the risk, and yet it was my living. And just finally, Henry, um, what to talk a little bit about your intro and intros in general. Is it something that you think about for a long time before you start writing? What do you think of this one? Because I must have, I, th I thought it was a fantastic way in. It, it, you got all the news, and then we're at the asylum and we're off on the walk. I thought it worked very effectively. But, 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 well, thank you. But that's the key thing. You've got to get the news in there. Um, because I knew also with everyone else going out at the same time and they would all be focusing on COVID. Um, I had to get that in the intro. But I also wanted to make it pretty clear that I was down there. I was going, I was going out for a walk with him. Um, and look, your intro is your shop window. It is, I mean, Simon Kellner, one of them, them, I've been very fortunate to work with some amazing sports editors and editors and Simon Kellner at The Independent. He's, he's basically, he taught me a very raw to a 22-year-old. He said, he basically said, get your joke in the intro and run for home. He said, your intro is absolutely key. Spend more time on that than the rest of the piece because it's your shop window. It's your chat up line, whatever you want to call it. It's just, you've got to make, uh, you know, there's, particularly now, there's so many sort of, you know, competing you know competitors for uh, for people's interests that you've really got to grab them uh, and then and then keep them um so absolutely your your intro is is key i, I wanted to, to to expand it around to actually kind of explain what he went through with the, in the in the year and then just said but actually look the, the some of the best intros and i'm not saying this is one of the best ones but they have a sort of certain drive to them a certain momentum that you feel building and you can do that if there's that 
I decide to go looking the ing element I find him there's a sort of it's almost sort of pulls you pulls you forward on a match night you just have to file so quickly that it's occasionally what I do with an intro if it's a match report if I got a line which I think might work I'll tweet it 10 minutes before the final whistle whistle and if people go well that's crap and no one picks up on it, then I'll say, well, I better do something else. So there's a little bit of sort of fishing occasionally with intros, but obviously something like this where I'm sort of hitting people cold with. Um, I tend to write the piece, and then the sort of the intro, then I said, right. I knew I wanted to sort of have that element of turning up Nigel Asylum. I knew about the Asylum, but I also knew I needed to, to get all the news element. Also an element of the... There were two bits there that I knew other people wouldn't have. The fact that he's, you know, he couldn't get out of bed and the homeopathic medicines. And I thought, well, that, that, you know, if all these intros are being lined up together, at least there'll be a couple of elements there, as well as the fact that I went looking for him. Um, so, yeah, but look, it was probably too long as an intro. I think most desks would say that was, that was probably a, a bit long. But anyway, hey. I'm a bit of a prima, prima donna and uh, I tend to sort of <laughs> demand my intros to don't, yeah, don't didn't get, get subbed down. Brilliant. I'm glad it didn't get subbed down. Do you have the piece there in front of you? Could I ask you to read it on tape? Yeah, I do. Yeah, of course. In this cruelest of years, Nigel Pearson lost his beloved mother suddenly, got sacked by Watford and was so savaged by COVID he couldn't get out of bed. Even now, nine months after contracting the virus, Pearson takes a mix of steroids, pills and homeopathic medicines to strengthen his immune system to keep him moving. So I decide to go looking for one of the most maverick managers in English football. I find him in an old mental asylum in Devon. I have to say that's quite worth it because I'm not a huge one of personalising. I'm not huge. We call them opticians. There's certain journalists we know as opticians because it's all I, I, I. (laughs) And I, I have to say, even though I've got quite big ego... I'm not a huge fan of imposing, particularly in interviews, because I mean, I do comment pieces the rest of the week, you know, and I've had a pop at Nigel Pearson in, in columns and comment pieces before, but I prefer it. This is why Donald McRae is one of my favourite interviews um, at, the, uh, at, at The Guardian, because he lets the subject speak. He gives them a platform. You know, Donald's brilliant, so he's got so many words to, to play with Nor, but say he's got about two and a half thousand words. But he will devote that to the uh, to, to the interviewee. And he said, This is your platform, you talk. And he will sort of guide them so sort of maybe gently in, in certain directions, but it's very much their their thing. And I think that's important. So he tends not to use he's he's definitely not an optician. He's he's too good for that. Um that's quite rare for me, certainly to have I don't think I've ever had so many eyes in a piece before. Um, but it was, it, I could get away, I could justify it to myself in that it was actually part of the story was part of the walk, was, was the walk. So no, you could absolutely. Really there's it. a time, and a, I think you're right. It's possibly overused in general, but I think there's a time and a place for it. And the, the time was last week and the place was, um, that clay pit. It's a, it's a, it's a great intro, I think. Um, and it's a, a way into a, a fantastic piece. And if there's any aspiring sports writers listening to this podcast and i know there are many then i think that's a a great lesson in miniature for them but but also on a serious note you you want to get up in the morning and do something different i don't want to get up in the morning and go to my room and just do a zoom interviews even though footballers managers have been so helpful during this this horrific year i mean seriously helpful my admiration for players I, I've seen more of the sort of the front rooms and the studies of, of footballers. 
uh, and they've just been incredibly sort of generous with their with their time. Um, but actually, you want to get up, you want to go in the car, you want to go. I don't really know Dartmoor. I want to get back that night and, you know, my family say, you know, why are you still shivering? And I said, well, it was partly sort of um, enjoyment of a, of a good day, um, but partly partly because now I say I have been swimming with a Premier League manager in a clay pit. Thanks for listening to Between the Lines. There'll be more soon. And in the meantime, can I tell you that Martin and I at Backpage have just published a book in association with The Athletic. At the end of the storm, stories from Liverpool's historic title win is out now. And finally, if you enjoy these podcasts, please leave us a review. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye for now. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.